right now the comics place is the only and comics place podcasts are like the only ways i mark my days so yeah i probably yeah <laughs> it's it's stupid but the only way i really mark my days for the last years has been tuesday new comics right like <laughs> that's the only thing that stays the same and then wednesday is therefore always the same and then yeah. everything else around that has changed over time but now that new comics can come in on supposedly Friday, maybe Saturday, generally Monday, but kind of Tuesday. And, <laughs> and this Tuesday. week, Wednesday. Does it say t- Wednesday now? It did a couple days ago. Well, should we check and see if Diamond's books are going to be here on Tuesday? Diamond knows how to ship on fucking time to compensate. Yeah. Django's going to love it when he gets back and I tell him that fucking books aren't going to be here until Wednesday. Hey, Django. Hey, buddy. You know, you know, your friends huh? at Diamond? Yeah. Well, all their estimated delivery dates say Wednesday. Do they really? Yeah. Cool. Well, that's one one problem solved and another one created. Hey. That's how we roll. It's another week and another day and another time. And these are the words that I say right now, like Perd Happily, to buy time till I can confirm exactly what episode this is. And it's 193, where every Tuesday we get a whole bunch of comic books. But as we've just spent the last five minutes understanding, that's not going to happen next week because Memorial Day or Labor Day or whatever day it is. It's Labor Day. I'm out of touch and rude. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Respect. Respect to everybody. All those laborers out there and those who deserve memories and memorials. We're taking Labor Day and the day after Labor Day off. We run a comic shop. We love that comic shop. It's not open all the time right now. But what we do is we gather online in as many different uh, incarnations and forms as we can to have conversations about comics to engage what would have originally been the people in our store, but now they're not in our store. And we engage in a variety of tangents, either related to or unrelated to the comics that came out that week. The shop that we know and love and run, but don't spend as much time in, debatable or the comings and goings of our lives. That was great, if I don't say so myself. If I do say so myself. <laughs> Roman, Django, can I get some sound bites from you guys? Django has been staring at his cup this whole time because the thing that he said right before I started this intro was, there's some weird shit in here. What's yeah, in there, bud? I really don't know. I think maybe I have dirty ice or I had a dirty, I have really nice whiskey and it is Bugs. full of, of flakes it's like somebody shook dandruff in my uh glenn levitt here wow um so that's what it means when you order something order order a drink dirty i didn't know that i didn't (laughs) know it was literal yes i think that we should mention where this fancy whiskey that both of us are drinking came from and it came from two wonderful listeners of the show friends of the shop good friends of ours andrew carlson and will elmer thank you both to the two of us uh they did a real nice thing for us this week and they got me a video game and Django and i bottles of nice whiskey Fots and thoughts man yeah watson thoughts Wilmer of the show. <laughs> sure, Watson Fots. <laughs> Watson and Fots. It sounds a little bit like if Sherlock and Holmes, if Watson bailed after Sherlock got super addicted to Coke, which would be you and I in this situation. We would be the collective, like, 
you know, shop Sherlock who just gets too blown out on Coke and Watson has to go find a different de- detective. And so it's Fox, Watson Fox. I'm going to go dump this. No, I dude, think, it's yeah. just dirty ice, I, th- I think you should strain it out or something. How it's big are the fucking, flakes? It's chunky. It's like, <laughs> Jesus. I don't know, man. It, it really looks like somebody with eczema just kind of scraped their elbow against my glass. Ew. God, that's unappetizing. <laughs> yeah, if there's that's one word, about... <laughs> go, go strain it. Go strain it. I'm drinking the so, same so... whiskey and it's very nice. So in this in the Sherlock and Watson analogy, am, am I Mrs. Hudson? No, no, no. Everyone in the show, everyone on the podcast or in the shop is Sherlock. Oh, and okay. and in that situation, they have had to boldly venture out because we wow. are all too coked out on um, oh, okay, trying to okay. keep up with owning a shop at this point. This I mean, juncture. I don't mind being Mrs. Hudson as long as I'm not Lestrade. It seems like you're sort of um, angling towards the mrs hudson <laughs> don't, thing don't mind huh That's hey subtle move roman i'm going to read all the books that we're going to talk about this week because i have all of them on me i've got them all on me i have them and some of us have returned different books to the shop being responsible i have selfishly collected and held all of mine until this opportunity first we're gonna talk about hellblazer rise and fall number one by tom taylor and Derek robertson then we're going to talk about an interestingly titled book we Only Find Them When They're Dead by Al mm. Ewing and mm. Simone DeMeo, number one. We're going to talk about Spy Island, number one, Strange Adventures, number five, Lost Soldiers, number two, and Deceased Dead Planet, number three. <laughs> hey, does anybody have any really choice bits to get at before we get into all of this Jones Jonesin? Listen, man, my last bit cost me uh, about a shot and a half of whiskey, so... Yeah, you got to be careful with those bits. You come in hot with those bits. You're like overly nutrient soil causing the leaves on your plants to burn. The only um, way I can be sure that I'm drinking pure whiskey is just straight out of the bottle now. Yeah. Here yeah, we I come. I got to stop maximizing in, in his ice. <laughs> I don't have a bit yet, but I'm, I'm kind of working over my head something to do with we only find them when they're dead planet. Actually, um, if I were to try and make a Roman joke, and maybe I already made it this week. It would be, we only find them when they're Fred. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> Y'all didn't see his face, but um, man, what, what word does he always replace with Fred on a Tuesday morning when we're... Hellblazer, rise and fall, number one. Tom Taylor, Derek Robertson. This is like someone took Django's blood. Spun it through a centrifuge, got all the really important stuff that was separated out from that, distilled it into a single drop, dropped it into a nuclear, no, 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 the heart of a black hole, and it pooped it out, but it pooped it out in one of those anti-wormholes where it shoots out like a cosmic, beautiful bliss, and you're creating an entire universe consisted of Django's poop DNA. That is uh, exactly what I thought when I read this too, Jeff. Django really likes Derek Robertson. He likes Hellblazer and he likes Tom Taylor. And, and I, I thought really it was like... horseshit. No, I didn't. <laughs> I, I, I didn't. I actually. I really like Garth Ennis's Hellblazer. And this felt like a better band covering Garth Ennis's Hellblazer to me. Like it hit all the right notes, has the, the right characterization for me. And, you know, John is exactly the asshole I want him to be. His friends are exactly as hapless as I want them to be. And the, the grisly bits and the sad bits are just as, as heartrending as I want them to be. Um, I 
can't speak to all of that because I don't know much Hellblazer. I would say the most Hellblazer I've read, I read the like the last like eight issues of the whole run mm-hmm. back in the day before you know it ended with Giuseppe Camoncoli. Yeah, yeah, he was drawing it then. He was, and I forget <laughs> who the writer was, but I want to say it was like Peter Milligan or something like I think that. So yeah, and I liked it pretty good. And I've read about half of this current Spurrier run. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's pretty good. That's been excellent, yeah. And I, I think it's been pretty good. But I don't know Hellblazer that well. So I can't speak to like, you know, excellent or not. I thought this was excellent, mm-hmm. though. I thought this was yeah. like the best Hellblazer I've ever read. But I can't help but think there was a lot of Tom Taylor in this book. Huh. Like what, like... To me, Tom Taylor is like, hey, let me be a little gruff, but embed a bunch of diamonds of like deeply emotionally wrenching events. And this Mm -hmm. has like four of those in it. And it is an oversized issue because it's a black label book. But like right off the bat, like I felt like, and not, not to disparage at all, I love Tom Taylor and I liked this a ton, but it, it, it really showcased how great of a writer I think that he is and how he has a flavor that he brings to something. And I think he has this ability to instill a sense of like loss and emotional reverence in anybody for a thing. And it it is often like, you know, parental guilt or passing of children or passing of parents or the connection between adults and children. Like he's very tuned into that across different books that he's done. And right. that's exactly how this starts. And that was what I needed for John Constantine because I just haven't, I haven't read a ton of it. And this almost, to me, felt like, hey, if you've never read a Hellblazer book, start here. And so I'm glad to hear that you felt like it was in line with your perceptions of these characters because I almost felt it was like, hey, we're rebooting it. And you know, if you've never read anything, this is all you need. I mean, I think that in the main canon, Chaz, his cabbie is dead. Right, um, and that's what I was thinking as well, because I, I have known that. Yeah, but I like I don't, I don't need them to reboot it. I don't need them to not reboot it. I just want good kind of occult detective fuck you guys stories. And, and I guess this yes, has sorry. that. I yeah, reboot's like the wrong word, but it was it's because it doesn't seem to undo certain things, except for maybe right. the jazz thing. But it, it's just sort of like hey, here's all of the most important pillars of this character I'm projecting because yeah. I don't know. No, you, you're, you're absolutely right. I, th- I think that uh, Tom Taylor's obviously read a lot of my favorite Hellblazer stories and was able to get to the core of John. Um, you know, he's been broken since he was a little kid and we get to see that in here. And I didn't, and I guess I didn't really know why he is so the way that he is you know and just to lead this with the first like five pages of like oh his mom died giving birth to him and the way that he the narration addressed that as like you know guilt does a lot of good things for people it does also tears people apart and that's a guilt i'm familiar with my whole life Mm -hmm. so we get this like bam hey john constantine from birth is synonymous with this horrible guilt that he killed his mom and that his dad doesn't help yeah, and his dad doesn't help. And then, you know, as a teenager, he does this thing that causes a kid to die. And, you know, that ghost throughout this issue of this kid comes out to haunt him. But I also liked almost how casually he brushed off the like, oh, it's probably a manifestation of my guilt from a demon. You know, and it's like... Well, that's, that's one of the main 
traits of his character is that he has the ghosts of all the people that he's killed directly or indirectly follow him around and watch him sleep and he's like constantly plagued by them whenever the story finds it convenient so this this was really cool to see this this version of john's first ghost and I think that one of the you know main things that I've gleaned from John Constantine and Hellblazer stuff from uh, I just got paranoid that I wasn't recording. Um, I'm gonna that PTSD is gonna stay with me forever. Um, is one it of the, gonna haunt you? It is. And one of the things that uh, I've you know I associate with him is that everyone has to pay a price for being close to him. Like mm-hmm. you know, in the end of the original run you know he had like a wife for a while and it was just sort of this inevitable waiting for something horrible to happen because no one he doesn't get to be happy and right and the way that i learned all of these lessons it was like a constantine 101 course i I was totally blown away by that and i'm just curious roman you have probably been around hellblazer forever having worked at the shop forever like is that a character that you used to read yeah the original the original run, uh, Jamie Delano and, and Garth Ennis. Yeah, that, that was excellent. That's, and like Django was saying, that's, that's John Constantine to me. Whatever mm-hmm. came afterwards, does it, some of it's real good, but it does, doesn't quite feel right to me. And reading this, yeah, and in fact, I, didn't even, I never even thought about the fact it was Tom Taylor. It just, I think I subconsciously, I just assumed this was Garth Ennis writing it because it felt just like that and all the right beats and everything. And it's one of Garth's um, artists too. Yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah, that, uh, man, that art. What was the question, Jeff? (laughs) Well, I'm just curious, you know, like what's your relationship with Hellblazer and then how did this fit in? And, but you kind of just answered that question there. I am, I want to talk about Derek Robertson in a second here, but I do want, um, the, the Tom Taylor thing is, it's just that like, He's up there with like Hickman and Morrison and Rick Remender for me at this point, or, or mm-hmm. um, Tom King. He's somebody who like, I'll read anything he puts out, but he has a type of story that I immediately look for because I know that it resonates with me. Right. And I think that I approach this more as a Tom, I'm, I'm reading this because it's a Tom Taylor book because I didn't read the first Hellblazer issue that came out like a year ago from Cy Spur- Spurrier. Um, so I approached it from that and it, you know, it hit those beats of a Tom Taylor thing for me in the appropriate way, but I can't speak to the, you know, if it's, maybe it sounds exactly like the original stuff. Um, You know, I never really thought about how Tom Taylor's writing style and his emotional beats are pretty similar to Garth Ennis in a lot of the best Garth Ennis books. You know, like he, he gives you a character who's super flawed and who's maybe an asshole or who was an asshole when he was a kid. And then he shows you the consequences of that. And you feel you you've already identified with this character flaws and all and then something terrible happens to him i think that statement is really poignant about tom taylor because yeah i think that what he has a a keen ability to do is sort of zero in on a character's damage and Mm -hmm. make it relatable to another human being's damage and that's kind of i I love that about him and that's one of the reasons deceased works so well yeah is there um reading that and i had to look up Chaz uh, right before the podcast shia labeouf See, and I never saw the movie. Um, so yeah, I saw I saw that that he played, and I was like, "What, really?" I love that movie. I'm. I think it's on Hulu or something. I'm gonna watch it. It's a great days. movie and a terrible adaptation. I think you're gonna get a kick. See, out th- of see that that's what I'd heard. That's why I never saw it because I, I was like, "God, I just hear 
terrible things about this movie. Okay, yeah, his wiki said that actually Chaz did get killed, I guess, toward the end of the run, the overall run, but uh, Rebirth, he was brought back with pretty much everything the same okay. as it was before Rebirth. Okay. So, so I guess he's around him. in the comics too. Oh, now. okay. So this could be canon for all intents and purpose. Could be. Like this could be modern, current canon. We got to talk about Derek Robertson, everybody. Yeah. I like Derek Robertson's art in Transmet a lot. I haven't read all of the boys. I don't think his art stood out as strongly in the boys to me. I did like his art in Happy. He, I can't think of many other things else that I've read with his art in it, but this to me felt like, not to insult him, because I do think this book is fantastic, but it feels like a dude who like hit his peak in like the late 90s and was just like, all right, sweet, I don't have to practice like, drawing anymore. I'm good, I've got a career, and maybe occasionally I'll do books. But it's like, it felt like dusty craft to me. Is that fair at all? Like I, the ages, there's a time jump that happens in here, and um, I forget her name, uh, Aisha, that time jump was incredibly difficult to discern the difference in age of these characters. Cause, mm -hmm. but when I think about it, Derek Robertson ages are really hard to discern. I also read ballistic that he did. Um, yeah. And <clears throat> I don't know, there's pieces of it. I love this double shot of the angel crucified was like jaw dropping and amazing. There, I love parts... the, the expressions on the people's faces when the, yep. when the body hits the pavement and well, and flattered. And I feel like the panels, there's some are very good and then some are not as good. And like a lot of the faces are, you know, strangely, I don't know, really inconsistent. But like a lot of these faces in here, Constantine himself and um, ages and facial expressions, I had a really hard time discerning with him. And I just felt like I'm not an artist. So, you know, I'm not criticizing the art, but, and just massive respect because he's done these amazing things that are huge parts, like seminal parts of comic book history. But um, it's, you know, I got the feeling of somebody who's like kind of put the clutch in and hasn't been trying to necessarily progress their art forward. But I, you know, what do you guys think? I, I didn't get that at all. I really okay. like the art in this. And I thought that between the art and the colors, uh, this was one of the, one of the best looking books on the stands for me this week. Um, he he has in the last few books that I've read, it's felt like he's taken some shortcuts. But I didn't I didn't identify any of what you just said when I was reading it. I think the faces are wildly inconsistent from like same character panel to panel. Mm -hmm. um, I like I liked it a lot. Um, okay, all right. Well, I'm in the minority here. I, I kind of felt like this was I kind of felt like this was uh, a little bit better than some of his art that I've seen recently. Mm -hmm. um, particularly this is the first time I can think of when I've ever seen the face of a character when he's a baby when I'm really like wow yeah that's baby John Constantine <laughs> look yeah. at those eyes it's amazing um, yeah, yeah. that, that looking, panel was pretty spectacular yeah and, and his mom is saying about the look on his face and everything I was like wow that and again when uh, there's no page number a couple pages later when the baby Constantine is looking up at his mom and the nurse has noticed that she's bleeding the look on the baby's face there is great too. Uh, I, it made me really want to read older Hellblazer stuff. Like, you know, I, I, I've just encountered two comic things this last week that have made me really want to read an entire existing comic book run that I've never read. And that's Hellboy and Hellblazer. Maybe I'm just really into hell. Mm -hmm. Oh. And uh, I, I started Hellboy and it's incredible. Um, and I would, I would like to read this. I like, I don't, I think this is very good. I'm going to yeah. give it, um, I'm going to give it a nine. 
I'm going to give it a nine. I think it's really fucking good. I'm going to give it a nine and a half. I'm almost tempted to do that. I would give it a 10, but I was very distracted by the name of the bar, Dylan's. It was just a little bit too inside baseball cheeky. And that's quickly becoming my main comic book pet peeve. Uh, Also nine and a half. Nice. Well done, Tom Taylor. I'll go up to a nine and a half. I, I think that it did everything perfectly. And I just like, I don't think Derek Robertson will ever be like on a 10 book for me. On the topic of dead angels, we've got to talk about dead <laughs> gods, I guess. We only find them when they're dead by Al Ewing. And the artist's name, I want to make sure I get right here, is Simone DeMeo with color assist by Maria Sara Miotti. I am going to sound like such a shithead about my art criticisms this week. Um, well, can, can, we, can we talk about the Al Ewing criticisms? Did you know that he's, he's British? British? I did know that. That's why, that's why the first time Roman mentioned his name, he had been writing Doctor Who for a while. So he was oh, like, nice. a, like a very British writer. Um, this book was awesome. Mm-hmm. What a cool concept. It takes place around the idea. We start with a kid on a spaceship. We're in the far future, 2323, which is my address, I just realized. Oh, um, And... And we don't really know exactly what he's just seen, but his mom is like, you're going to be the captain of the ship one day. And then we jump 44 years into the future and we're in a similar fleet of ships and they are approaching what is a giant dead God. And what they mention is that they're always beautiful. They always see these gods, but we only ever find them once these enormous Titan-esque gods are dead. And this whole fleet of ships approaches in and starts claiming dibs on different portions of the body to extract you know meat primarily as we see but maybe armor we know that there's something about eyes you're not supposed to touch or maybe there's like a black market eye thing going on but and and we kind of end most of the issue is centered around how this culture of scavengers essentially Mm -hmm. is living off and monetizing the remains of giant dead gods but as it's becoming more and more people trying to do that and less and less easy to do it this crew of four people says i was five years old when i saw my first dead god in three days time three days time we'll see a live one and that's the cliffhanger of the issue i liked the story a lot and i Mm -hmm. liked i don't know if anyone's ever watched attack on titan it's an anime and it felt a lot to me like that like small people and giant muscular titan gods who are destroying or helping towns and societies built around trying to fend them off or like cut into their meat in different ways with special knives. And it was very, very similar to this. I liked just how I, I felt like they were scavenging from Galactus's body. And that was the, what it felt like to me. As I was reading this, I was like, how am I going to describe this on the podcast? Like it's essentially what if earth needed to live off of a bunch of dead Galactuses as they appear through space. So we harvest his minerals and his meat and his energy. And I really like that, um, like there's, there's definitely like a corporate and a small business structure between all of the ships that are doing the scavenging. So the one that we're following the closest, they're like going after cheek meat, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, they decide to go get some, some God cheek meat to sell on earth. But there are other ships that are claiming more valuable portions and, and not really being challenged by the government regulators. Um, because they're, you know, like the, the the Walmart version of God harvesting. Yeah, and there's the, uh, and then there's the 
like the one crew that tries to just sneak in and grab some real valuable uh, meat and and get pirates get yeah. in there under under the eye and the uh, I forget what they're called, but the the woman who's the kind of monitoring this shift and making sure everybody only goes where they're supposed to and gets what they're supposed to. I really like all that setup, the business aspect of it, and technologically the the it's reminiscent of whaling in the mm-hmm. 18th century whatever it was um the chunks and all that in fact and, and the different parts of the god body because yeah there is something about the eyes there's some kind of uh, fluid that you can harvest from the eyes that's really really valuable mm-hmm. but our crew stays away from that because there's something they have some kind of history that they're trying to like stay underneath the radar and do everything legally. Apparently, well, I think that they're the eyes were potentially going to be contested, and they didn't want to get yeah. in a fight because they they're getting ready to do something illegal, which is go find a live god. Yeah. Which sounds like, you know, kind of typical. I think it, it it is all of the things that are the like the best Al Ewing stories, like an incredibly well conceptualized world, a, a rich history, and in, in like a, an internally consistent social structure within it. Mm-hmm. Like all of that is you know my one of my when I have Al Ewing books I love like the mm-hmm. Ultimates, Immortal Hulk. I like this a lot. Um, if I were to think about it more, he does have other books I like a lot. Um, mm-hmm he's just such a fantastic writer. And this is, I think on a story level, I'm one of like the most exciting books I, you know, for me to track of Al Ewing's career right now. I'm, I'm really excited to see where this goes. And even without that first, you know, like cliffhanger at the end of the issue of like, we're going to go find a live God. It had this feeling of like, what an, a well set up world and whatever this is about to go into. Yeah. I'm excited to see it, but it had that feeling yeah but it had that feeling of like needing to build like yeah whatever like this world is rewarding enough to be in and consistent enough that it's like very good sci-fi and wherever it wants to go i'm on board for yeah Yeah. such a great concept and i can't help but wonder if he initially got his initial idea from this was maybe inspired by jason aaron or something with avengers because the avengers now are their headquarters is is in a celestial body i wonder if alvi Ewing was just like, huh, that idea, where can we go with that? <laughs> with dead celestials. <laughs> and well, yeah, or I mean, I, th- I think it's very Marvel inspired because I think Django and I both came across, you know, the Galactus comparison while reading it, which yeah. is just, you know, like, it's like, what if Galactus died? Let's go get his fucking helmet because yeah. what is that thing about? So I think it'll be interesting to see what constitutes a god or are we going to find out that maybe that's just something that we call them? Right, it's just a race of giant, powerful people, which is kind of the Attack on Titan comparison. If anyone's really digging this book and likes anime, you should check out Attack on Titan if you haven't yet, because there's a lot of really cool similarities between it. I think that the art was (laughs) really interesting. There were pages consistently where I had to hold it like three feet away from me to like look at Mm -hmm. and a lot of the panels a lot of the storytelling is people alone in different rooms of ships so there's not like faces communicating with each other so it made it really hard to start identifying personalities with people and how they interact with one another because there's a lot of floating text bubbles in fact there's a lot of pages where there's a vaguely pink background with a text bubble with a vaguely purple text bubble with a vaguely blue one and it's showing different ships communicating with one another 
Right. But that I think is a deft way of distinguishing different speaking bodies, but the camera angles that are consistently used within this made me think of just the argument of like, there's a lot of substance to the storytelling here, but on the art conversation, it's very style over substance to me. There's a lot of just like, I'm going to make this panel be from the floor next to a, a chair where someone is talking. Right. And there's no faces and there's not even like, it was very hard for me personally to like understand the scope and scale of what we're dealing with. But I think that maybe some of that is intentional because we are dealing with gods and people, but like, so a, a big scale discrepancy, but like, even if you can remember the scene where they extend the laser to like start cutting out cheek meat, mm-hmm. that was the one where I really was just like, I have to hold this four feet away from my face to understand. I think a lot of my difficulties with it are the lighting, but like which panels are being selected to distinguish images. Um, yeah. There, it was, it was a really difficult book for me to track. And I loved the writing but because of, I think, like, just like, you know, why is this panel got to be the underside of a ship? Right. Like, show me some people. I, and I don't know. That's not, you did bad. That's, this was my difficulty being a, a part of this story. And because of how, like, what a hard time I had placing a lot of this stuff, I found myself, I needed to read. I finished a page, every other page I needed to reread. I was just like, oh, I, I need to reread all of those text bubbles because... I didn't, I wasn't able to fully understand the context of what was being said in the visual environment of the storytelling. I didn't dislike the art other than that I, I didn't find it super easy to track and it wasn't, it wasn't like a deal breaker. I didn't, I didn't go back and reread anything, which is maybe a testament to Al Ewing's writing more than anything um, that was able to pull me through and I didn't feel like I I had missed anything because I'm sure I did. Um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't love the art. I didn't hate the art, but I sure didn't, I, I wouldn't probably choose this art for most stories. It felt like anime storyboarding for me, like a lot mm-hmm. of like camera shots, but then like, sh- you know, shot to the mecha pilot with his hand on the gear shift, moving it. And it was like, they would choose to display that panel of the hand on the gear shift instead of like providing an image of like a person in a cockpit outside of a orbital body, like just very stylistic, but you know, and I'm choosing to like say, I think that maybe this situation, which is these small bodies outside of a God and like trying to convey the scope. I'm going to, I'm going to like chalk it up to that in this first issue. But if that's like a real consistent motif within this, like that would be not a deal breaker, but just like a really, you know, I needed to stop and be like, can't we just have two faces talking? Can we please yeah. just have two faces talking? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, in fact, even now I was looking at that <clears throat> two page sequence of when they cut into the cheek of the God and real, and I'm realizing, Oh, there's some, when I first read this, there's some small panels that are the, uh, the woman's um, hands on a blue globe Right. So she's, that's how she's directing the blade. Mm-hmm. When I was first reading this, I just completely ignored those panels because there was too, there was too much else going on and I couldn't track that. I couldn't track initially what the blue thing was underneath the ship, if that was the blade or if that was a stylized 
side panel, like a dimensional door exactly. panel. That is like, all of the thoughts you're describing are the same thoughts I was having. And that's why I was like holding it way. Like maybe I just need to like look at it like fine art and like, <laughs> yeah. And, and for just, me, I, I think just, that's too hard. Yeah, for me. And for me, it was too hard. And I just ignored whole panels couldn't decide, well, I can't tell what's going on. The, be the best artistic pages for me were the ones when they're showing the actual mechanical process of harvesting chunks oh. of meat. Yeah. Those that were was really well done. That was an amazing artistic sequence, which is why, like, yeah. yeah, there's a nearly silent, you know, 16 panel double page spread of different mechanical processes of harvesting and, and compartmentalizing and transporting this god meat. And I thought that was amazing. So it's not that they're not talented, but it's more that, like, there's a an attempt for perspective going on there that really didn't work for me. Yeah, yeah, those two pages I was, that really drove home the the whaling industry comparisons for me, which sucked me more into the business and aspect of the of the of the whole the whole concept. I would give it an eight point five, even though it sounded like more of a criticism of the art than I meant it to. Like I think it was a really great first issue. It just how well everything else worked highlighted that I was like, I'm working too hard to try and visually track this. I'd give it a 7.5. I'll give it, I'll, I'll give it an eight. They also do that thing that Jeff, that ever since you pointed it out once, oh, it God. always makes me crack up now when you get to this, the, 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 the second page with the title page, the title splash and it's one of those huge cinematic, here's the title in space. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> only i mean hickman stole it from other things like star wars and shit but only hickman yeah. was willing to burn two <laughs> of the 22 pages he was given on a title sequence and now everyone does it yeah okay so let's continue this train of one number ones issue number ones that came out this week spy island this one is was interesting to me because as as I was excited when I ordered it, when it came out, the way that I kept addressing it in my head is like, that's the creative team from Maneaters, which had been at least Chelsea Kane wrote Mockingbird. I don't know if, um, if Leah Mitternik, if I'm saying your name right, Leah, I apologize if I'm not. Um, I don't know if she was involved with uh, Mockingbird, but that was, that was the writer and artist on Maneaters. And this issue, the creators are listed as Chelsea Kane and Leah Mitternik, writer Chelsea Kane, Cover designer, supplemental art, Leah, artist, Elise McCall. Interesting. So the story was conceived by and the design work done by Chelsea Kane and the Leah Maternique. I'm going to keep, I'm going to commit <laughs> just, to it and I just lean into just gotta it. just got to do it. <laughs> I want to respect it and correct me if I'm wrong. And I apologize if I am. Maternique. But uh, this one has a different artist in it. And so that was a surprise to me while starting it. I thought it was going to be the same creative team. And it was actually that those two names that had been listed are co-plotting it. And there's a new artist. I actually really liked this artist in it. Um, even though yeah. they employed artistic techniques I don't traditionally like. Like photos? Yeah, even when Jack Kirby does it. Like, I love that he was experimenting with comics at the time. But I don't really like photos embedded in my physical art. And I also really don't like digital images put into a like mm -hmm. a two-dimensional surface i think this issue does both of those things yeah but it's it's a stylistic choice because they're also doing like patterning there's like there's hound's tooth patterns or plaid patterns put into clothing but they don't put any effort into like shading it or providing the depth of the clothing it's just like a flat pattern of hound's tooth and then lines drawn into it that's it's very not, shaken 
Chaikin yeah, for sure is probably the earliest instance. If you read like Gotham Academy, they did it a lot in that. Mm. It's, it's a pretty common technique, but that doesn't bother me as much. But like the shot of her with the air balloons behind her and they're just like clearly digital air balloons, hot air balloons. I, I think it's interesting that I didn't notice the credits thing there, but um, design is definitely something that should be called out if it's not the, the drawer who came up with the design of this book because it's definitely got a feel to it beyond the panels but i feel like it's very akin to man eaters where the you mm -hmm. know the covers were part of the story the back covers were part of the story the credits were and all of that is present within this as well and there's like this very strong like neon glittery iridescent vibe throughout the whole thing so yeah i think leah materny is I, just a name to look out for because they're doing really amazing stuff both in comic book art but i think graphic design What's it with you and Leah's? You're a big fan of Leah Williams too, aren't Leah you? Williams. Well, it's just the work, man. Like I just like that one. It's just you know, like look down the barrel of the gun. It's the work, and the gun is the work. You know, like I get it. I like it. I appreciate it. It's not even the person. It's the work. Um, I think I really like this. I, I know I don't think it's on our list to talk about, but I read Bang Number Three this week, and it's got some very like slight structure and, and concept parallels to this book and I can't wait uh, to read that one yeah this I really like this one I, I, I liked the it a lot was cool I thought the execution was cool the characters were awesome I didn't even look at who had, who the creators were until I was halfway through the book and I was like who the fuck is writing this this is really good um and turns out it was Chelsea Kane. I, like I love Chelsea Kane. I like, I like her interviews. I like the way that she withstood criticism um, while writing Maneaters. I love the way that she withstood criticism while reading Mockingbird. I, I love the way that she commits to a gimmick at an, a comic convention. If you've never been to like Emerald City or a Comic-Con where she's been when she was like writing Maneaters for those two years, it, it, she would have like maxi pads taped to the floor with like oh, yeah. you know like red pseudo blood sprayed on them all <laughs> around her booth to just like just like are you uncomfortable are you un uncomfortable with femininity well fucking get over it like i i, I really <laughs> i really dig her you know combative and um bridge building nature of all of that stuff it's all mm -hmm. it's you know it, it feels like if it feels combative it feels like it is that to build a bridge because it's only um disruptive if you are kind of stifled and not accepting. So I, I, I just really like the way that she goes about her, you know, identity within media, uh, her brand, and, and the way that she writes books. They've always, always been interesting. I didn't finish Maneaters, but I dug the first half of it. Yeah. Um, this is, I think, the most, I, this is the best first issue for me of a book for her. Yeah. Well, for and her and Leah, because it, they are co-creators. Yeah. Yeah, this, I've, I've, I don't think I've finished any of her books, but I've liked everything that I read of all of them. I don't know why I dropped off. I'm, I'm a bad fan, a bad reader. Roman, did you read this book? <laughs> I did read this book. Um, what did you think of it? I just realized at one point she's out there, like <laughs> it's a female protagonist and she's welcome to the Bermuda Triangle. It's the worst place I've ever been. She compares it to a bunch of shitholes, but at once she's saying Rio landfills and there's just like a tied off used condom that she's holding there. <laughs> Yeah, I was wondering why, why did you pick that up then? What <laughs> um, spy stuff? I I liked it well enough. I mean, it was it was funny. I liked the there was a lot of little bits like 
behind the British guy and the, with the Union Jack Speedos, there's there's a couple corgis on the table, and I like little touches like that. Um, oh right, she loves corgis. Oh, does she? Yeah, and it's such yeah, a British thing because you know that's and other stuff. the queen. Yeah, because the queen, that's what she has. And I love the beginning, um, talking about the 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 ocean and thalassophobia, the fear of open water. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I kind of identify with that because like too. I get a little uneasy if I'm out on a boat on open water just because I just think of it as I try not to think of it as uh miles of death all around me and below me because <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm almost drowned so <laughs> and I don't know how to swim still so so that appealed to me but get out of the ocean well I get know but, out of the ocean Roman. <laughs> I'm not in the ocean I'm, the I'm ocean. on a boat I'm a boat on the ocean like praying for to get back to shore um <laughs> You not like being on boats either as a as a byproduct of that? No, that's the funny thing. I I, I love water until it gets to like my neck, mm-hmm. and and then I get start getting nervous. And I don't mind being on boats on ferries. I've actually never been on the ocean proper, just in the sound and you know bays and stuff like that. Yeah, water can make <laughs> you feel small for sure. Yeah, this is yeah. just like a strong badass lady who's a spy on an island in the Bermuda Triangle in a world where mermaids exist and, you know, monsters exist and weird things exist. We don't fully understand the depth of how different this world is from our own because it's played relatively close to the vest. But, you know, at the end we do like, they're on a small island and once a week a ship arrives and it's their only connection to the outside world because there's no cell phone service or internet or anything on this island. And as people come off, there's a bunch of like kind of goblin looking things or winged beasts or people, you know, crazy animal bodies. Uh, so it's, it's, it's not this world, but it's, you know, she's an assassin spy and it's just like cleverly and charmingly written. She's, you know, like of all the things I hate on this island, the thing I hate the most is, um, what is, what are they referred to? Fundraisers. Mm-hmm. She's like, and people go to fundraisers for a bunch of different reasons, but you know, in any given fundraiser, like half the people or a third of the people there are people that are assassins trying to scope out other people. And the other reason people go to these things are because they're great, you know, cover stories. And it made me think of all the fundraisers Bruce Wayne has been at, you know, because yeah. it can mean his face was there. Um, it made me think of that fundraiser in uh, uh, the beginning of Grant Morrison's yeah. Batman run that we yep. talked about a couple months ago. Yeah. Um, and I just... I love, I love how well the lady is written. Um, I need to remember her name just a second. Um, Leah? Leah. <laughs> Nora. Nora. <laughs> Leah. Love the work. It's just a great body of work. It's, she's done an amazing thing. Uh, Nora. I really liked how she's written. I really like the dude, Harry Fauntleroy. Um, and I guess what I liked about it was being a dude reading a female character written by a lady just inherently comes across um, as more genuine or differently. So when, when she decides to like, this guy is like, you know, are you trying to have sex with me? And she's like, or he just says, do you want to have sex? She pauses. She's like, yeah, okay. But only because you're good at it. He says, I can live with that. And like, that's an awesome scene, but it just comes across different feeling like it's not a guy placating or i don't know playing up a woman's sexuality it's just like an actual i don't know it felt like a more real interaction than if a dude was doing it. i don't know if that's a shortcoming of my part it's certainly a limited viewpoint from being a man but 
also I think that there's a lot of women written by men in comics. So I think there's a cool amount of just, you can not question it. Yeah. Is, is that, is that fair? I, is that weird? I like the idea of it that, um, just the dip, since she's a spy, James Bond is a spy, the idea of playing around with like, well, how would a super spy that's a woman approach sex versus Bond, mm-hmm. where she doesn't have to go out and like constantly try and seduce men. She's just like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I like that. And I guess it just would have hit me differently if it was a dude writing it. I would have taken yeah. it with pessimism. I would have taken it with like, are you objectifying somebody? Like just a weirder stance. And <clears throat> I love the art. I love the style. I like the way that she's drawn. I love that she's wearing this dress, but they make sure to draw like tan lines around her bikini all the time. Just mm-hmm. to sort of like do this character work of like, yeah, I'm an empowered lady. I hang out in a bikini all the time. Fuck you. Also like, I, I wear, like it's just the whole thing um, as a dude, in an industry where things have mostly been written by dudes, this was a total uh, breath of fresh air for being, yeah, like a great, I just, I dug it and I didn't have to question whether it seemed like it was genuine or not. It's funny when an amount of reality inserted into your fantasy spy island story reads as absurdity. And a lot of it was absurdist. Yeah, but also pretty grounded. You know, like right. the tan lines thing. That's an absurd thing to call out in a comic, but it's Incredibly realistic real. and, and funny. Yeah, I don't know. It was, she, she the, they, everybody on the comic hit a really good tone of um, this is a serious story with real stakes that is totally absurd, but realistic at the same time. I dig it all. I, I dug I dug all of it. There's the sex scene where it's like a dude in a British thong and it's a full page. He's all super <laughs> like Roman hairy. And then they just you turn the page, it's just a giant green page with the word sex on it. And then they just yeah. cut the whole thing out. I'm just like, you, I love it. Awesome. Cool. More, yeah. more uh, enlightened viewpoints about this in comics would be awesome. I, I'd give this one a seven and a half, maybe an eight. I would go eight. I, I, I read this right after Hellblazer and right before we only find them when they're dead. And I was just like, what a great week of number ones we're getting yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd give it a seven. I wasn't a big fan of the art. Um, I think mainly because there was too many uses of different art techniques in the one in the same panel. And that draws me out. Like I love the mermaid on the last page, but the photorealistic, the photo, uh-huh of the underwater scene all around the mermaid and below it, that totally is jarring to me. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And I, and I, I don't like that, but I am curious. How do you feel about like when Kirby was doing it in fantastic four? I loved it when he would do it. Cause the ones I remember is they were always space scenes. Mm-hmm. So it seemed kind of science fictiony for me in the natural world underwater. It, it's, it's too, I mean, it's a beautiful photograph, but, it's too uh it's Jarring. too obviously juxtaposed with the drawn part yeah. of the, the art yeah and on the topic of interesting books strange adventures number five amazing science fiction question mark it says by tom king mitch garrods and evan shaner this book kind of diverted from what my like i think issue three and four kind of put me in a spot where i was like oh i get what this is about now and this one change some things around in a way that at least the the bodies in play um didn't feel as predictable to me anymore through yeah. it uh, yeah. if that makes 
any sense. But it, it was like, this isn't just investigating whether he's a war criminal or not, because now we've moved beyond that. And we're saying, well, even if you are or you aren't, we need you to lead this force against the picks. We learn in this, like a, a shot in Gotham is of Batman fighting a picked drone, which is right. the, the invading force that, you know, Alan Strange, Alan Strange? Adam, Adam Strange. Adam. Alan Strange was a, car, uh, a TV show I watched when I was a kid. Um, shout out anybody who knows that TV show. <laughs> but yeah, it became a little bit more like political and how political bodies use people and play one another people off of each other than the previous issues had seemed. Was that anybody mm -hmm. else's read on this? Yeah, and, and they were doing it on Earth and on RAN. Right, because uh, Adam Strange and Alana are sent on RAN. They're sent to uh, try to sway the rock people over to help them fight the Picts. And on Earth, there's similar political stuff going on with them, but they aren't in the same amount of control as they were at the, in the other one. And they weren't hardly in control there, too. Roma, what is your how do you feel about this? Cause you know, as someone who feels more steeped in all of this than I assume Django and I are, I, I consider he and I a similar brew of tea and I consider you a, a, a stronger tea, a, a more steeped tea. What, how did you feel about there? There, there's a lot of conversation about how the justice league relates to the governmenting bodies in the U S and then how the governmenting bodies in the U S can make a, a plan or a, a culture or, you know, a task force using superheroes that then the Justice League needs to abide by. Like it, was, it was very, you know, can you unpack any of that for me as a more informed person? Well, I really like that part of the story because it harkens back to, um, I don't know, Giffen and Demantis' JLA and then, and then what some subplots that led to Justice League International with just governments trying to, and especially American government, trying to somewhat have some control over the Justice League. Mm -hmm. um, so it's nice kind of seeing that kind of thing again the overall story i'm still not sure really and this issue i was kind of like well okay what's the point of this series um because we still don't know i don't want adam strange to be besmirched in any way um how do you feel about the idea of alana being besmirched i'd rather not have her turn out to be a femme fatale but it definitely seems like that's where she is nowadays um do you get the feeling Sorry. Which is probably more characterization than she's ever been given before, at mm -hmm. least. <laughs> she's always just been, you know, the space princess and his wife and mother of their kid. Um, I almost got the feeling that, like, the Alana that we're seeing on Ran is a different Alana than the, the one we're seeing on Earth. And I don't know if that's that Mitch Garrods presents her and depicts her with a lot more, like, I guess femme fatale, a lot more like malice and a lot more ulterior motive than Evan Shaner does about all the Rand pictures. I don't think that's an art discrepancy. I think I think that she's much more shrewd and calculating on Earth. Yeah. Than she is on Rand. Yeah. Yeah. Just like Adam is is more of course it's the situation, but he's he's less decisive and, and more unsure than he, on Earth than he is on on Rand, which is interesting because she's Ranian, he's an earthling and they kind of switch roles in a way on each other's planets. Yeah. I, and I totally agree with what you just said, Roman, of like, what is the point of this series? I think I had a better idea of what the point of this series was last issue than I do this issue. Yeah. Yeah. And 
you know, we're five issues in, I almost feel like something big will happen like next issue to kind of this, this one ended on a cliffhanger of the daughter and a real shot of her head and an idea of her personality, which hadn't really been done as of yet. And I think that it is a, a really integral part of it. Also the Ranian shots of Alana are like pre the daughter dying and then the post. Yep. So like maybe that has a huge effect on a person's, I, I mean, I'm sure that it does. One, the thing that I really realized in this issue and it made me think about the previous issues and really thought was awesome is that maybe all of these issues, maybe all but one have had some way that it is depicting how Adam Strange is consistently totally trapped by time. So in issue two, he needed to like drop Alana off in the desert and he couldn't get back to her in time. The last mm -hmm. issue he wanted to get to Ram, but no one would take him there. And this one, they're stuck in a cave and a day is actually a month. And are they going to be able to make it that whole time? And all of that seems like a metaphorical extrapolation on the idea that Adam Strange character is built around kind of being s secondary to the Zeta beam or the, whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. And you know, when it shows up, he goes. And when it takes him back, he goes. And he, he is like a pawn in a larger chess game of time. And I, I like that, while that's not overtly what the theme of the story is, every one of these issues seems to depict how he is powerless in his relationship with time. I thought that that was like, this was the one that made me feel like that has to be intentional. And whether, it, you know, it's the theme or not, it's just a that's a powerless, helpless that, feeling of just like, oh, fuck, I guess I have to wait in the cave for a month because time says I have to. That's a, re that's a really good read on it. That actually helps me frame the series a little bit better. I think when I read uh, All-Star Superman last, I realized that almost every issue is a race against time also. Hmm. Like each, each trial that he goes through is some sort of time-limited thing. Well, that whole run is kind of like it's him yeah. trying to get stuff done before dying of cancer. So. Circles within circles, bro. Fine, I'll read it again tomorrow. <laughs> I love that I, book. I loved a lot of the pages in this. Like the, mm -hmm. the art is amazing. Um, Alana's amazing. The just ev every every single page has some really nice touch to it, and uh, I'm I'm super glad that they're doubling up the artists on here and, and giving us this particular package because it is uh, it's a top-notch book. Yeah, I really liked Alana and Adam's talk on the balcony of, uh, of the, um, the Capitol building. Is that where they are? Um, yeah, I think so. Senate building. Um, I really liked their dialogue in the cave. My favorite dialogue actually was the Martian Manhunter's speech mm -hmm. um, before Congress or wherever they are. Um, I I mean, in terms of like dialogue, I love the way that the subterranean rock people talked in like two or three word sentences mm -hmm. with a period, but the way that it was two words in a period or three words in a period, it forced me to actually pause, but it was not unnatural. This is the cage of caves. You will wait here while we consider, like it was just such a well-timed, well-executed, bit of just using periods to define the like a different it's yeah, it's like the ints in lord of the rings i don't know if you all he's, know but i watched that recently he's playing with time and for you again i love mitch garrett's art in everything he's done this issue though like doc shaner's art 
I like as yeah. much like the shot of Alana as the doors are being closed and the light sliver on her face and like the duality mm-hmm. expressed by that the visual metaphor is present her statement like but what choice is there but to wait and to live like it just what like that I stared at that panel I was like that is a panel like that this is, is that lighting is amazing this is the first issue I think where they've actually said that their daughter died right I totally agree when that happened they were like okay they are saying that she died and I wonder if that's a response to people pointing it out or if that's just part of the way that um, Tom King is leaking information out to us. Oh, I think it's absolutely the writing. I think that there is, I don't think that she's clearly dead. And if she is dead, I think that it's much more complex than we know. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the series has been great so far. And this, I'd, this issue is no exception. No exception. Yeah. I'd go 8.5. Did you yeah, notice? Me too. Did you notice a little bit of humor that the leader, if he's the leader of the rock guys, when it has half a, a third of his face blown off, um, his necklace, they're from the underground. He, his necklace is the symbol of the London underground. What'd you guys give it? Uh, I think I said 8.5. Like it, yeah, but it's no. a good goddamn book. But even the worst issues of this qualify for my 8.5, a really good comic score. Yeah, I think, I, I think I'd still give it an 8. I'm not, I'm kind of losing the thread of why the comic book creator quotes how they tie in with the stories or the theme, but I still like it's happening. We got to talk about Lost Soldiers number two, Django. I know that Roman didn't read it and I don't want to ruin his experience. Um, there's not huge spoilers that happen here, but we are going to talk about, I want to hear Django's interpretation of a scene. Lost Soldiers by Alishcott and Luca Casalinguida. And this is following up on a kind of, Apocalypse Now meets Sicario vibe story to insult yeah. it by putting it in a comparative nutshell like that. It's much better than that sounds. The it's just art, Vietnam and Juarez. That's... Yeah, it's yeah, it's those two things, yeah. But, you know, all of the Vietnam sequences of this feel like the caliber of Punisher Platoon to me, like Garth yeah. Ennis and Goran Parlov. It felt in like- In the shit. Yeah, and it, even the art looks like it. Not to say that this artist is aping that at all, but just, I think, the best art style to depict a, a, a physical environment and people within it. And it's beautiful. And then it's interspersed by all these scenes of these cars driving to this clandestine drug meeting in Juarez, where the older versions of these young Vietnam you know, soldiers are. So it's a dual narrative thing, the past Vietnam with the present Juarez CIA type stuff. And we got two narratives there. I mean, two narrator, well, no, one narrator, but two protagonists. There was a third one in the first issue, but he died. And we kind of learned the depth of the way that these two dudes care about one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and it continues that narration of just sort of the heart of all violence is kind of narrating it. The, the epitome of depraved um, violence and, and horror and, and, you know, man's penchant for, uh depravity is sort of narrating the whole story but as it's going through here Django and the second half I just need your can you clarify for me like is the dude in the present that grabs the briefcase the same dude that the blonde haired guy like fucked with in the first issue because he was harassing his buddy and then therefore comes into the tent as our sort of you know, blonde hero protagonist guy after he's defended his buddy. It, like, 
is, is that the same guy who's coming to seek revenge on him? Is he coming to seek revenge on him? And then has he not died and he's now with them and a crew in the future? So I read it not as the dude who receives the briefcase, but one of his lackeys. So one of, one of the other guys with the gun is the same antagonist from Vietnam. So like these two old men who uh, had these adventures in Vietnam and who got super fucked with by this guy that looks quite a bit like Frank Castle, actually. Yeah. Um, he made their lives hell in Vietnam. And then they see him on the other team in this drug deal. You think that he's on the other team? Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought think that he's... he was the guy in charge of his team. No. I, I don't think so at all. I think that he's the he's he's on the other side because the guy watches him watches the the our main protagonist watches the he's watching the other side and he sees the Frank Castle looking dude backlit. Hmm. And the other guy does too. His his buddy sees the backlit bad guy and he's like, What the hell? I just I think okay. That speaks to this scene and this one right here, like this scene of all these like dual panels. It's a lot of strangers in the same outfit with bulletproof vests. Mm -hmm. And I think I've never drawn a comic book, so pardon my criticism, but I think that that could have been clearer, but I guess Django got it. So, but like even Django explaining to me, I'm like, okay, well there's panels that still make me think that that's not the case. Yeah, I think I think that the biggest the problem... ponytail guy looks like Frank Castle. Tell me, this ponytail guy doesn't look like Frank Castle. Yeah, he, he looks a little bit like Frank Castle. A little I think bit. The, the biggest problem for me is that um, they kind of break the 180 degree rule a couple times there, where like if you've got a character on the left and a character on the right, those characters should stay on the left and the right for clarity. And in that scene with a bunch of guys that look the same with guns that look the same, we don't have that boundary that you would normally have when you're, when you're looking at a scene in a movie or in a comic. And so like the camera's spinning around in circles and we don't, it's hard to ground yourself and know what you're doing. I think your read on is correct. And I think it also then makes me get this issue in a way that I didn't beforehand. So, um, and, and also then also like what the direction of this story is. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I didn't get that before. So that, is a huge amount of clarity for me and only makes me like the issue more. And I liked it beforehand. What do you give uh, this one? An 8.5. No, an eight. I think I, I, I liked reading it a lot. And, but I, the, <laughs> what I got out of it at first and liking it is different than what I'm understanding about it right now. I think there's some clarity issues with it, which are, you know, you didn't struggle with that. So that's my own thing. But for me, that was a barrier. I think that the art had some clarity issues. I think the storytelling was clear in terms of the writing, but I, mm -hmm. I think it was kind of an art thing. So it's like the third book that for me this week, um, maybe I was tired or something, but there, I, I wasn't able to follow visual aspects of the story as easily as I, as I, you know, as a visual medium makes me think right. I should be able to. Yeah. I, I would, uh, I'd give it a seven and a half. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I'm going to keep reading it because I want to see where it goes. And I, I like, I like playing in this Alish cot world with you guys. Did you read deceased dead planet number three? Oh, yeah. I did. I was so, I was so hepped up for more evil plastic man. <laughs> I was all hepped up for more Tom motherfucking Taylor. 
Okay. <laughs> I read this early in the week and now I feel even worse. But my main criticism of this book as well is that like the art is both great at times Jesus and then very Christ, bad dude. at times. <laughs> Seriously though. Like, and I, I remember feeling about that the in the very first series as well, but like these faces, man. <laughs> over and over again yeah i think that particular one that that jeff just showed showed us on our zoom screens um that was supposed to be da- grown-up damien right yeah yeah i had to look at that and go who the hell is this in the bat oh that's damien right maybe i i think <laughs> trevor Harrison has done some we talked about it i remember in like issue six of the first issue like in the one where they blow the head the hole through the gigantor and mm-hmm. cyborg is saying on the side of it yeah in that issue we said that like some of these pages are gorgeous and finished and others feel very rushed. And that is how I feel about this artist specifically. Like I loved the artist who did the mini series between the two, mm-hmm. um, uh, Mostert. Yeah, this, I, I think faces, um, I mean, sorry, Django, you clearly disagree. Go on. I don't, I don't disagree. I just didn't notice it or have any problem with it at all. Um, I, and maybe it's just because I get so wrapped up in the story. Here's a different one. Um, just yeah, it doesn't doesn't bother me even a little bit. Yeah, visually and also just the way this Damien is written. I'm like, you know, I know this is an alternate reality or whatever, but this just doesn't sound or look anything like Damien. Where's anything my Batman six 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 Damien? Yeah, yeah, Damien. But no, it's it's <laughs> a totally. I mean, I had the same thought, and it's probably because we are also reading that right now. But it is yeah. it is like, hey, I need a. Uh, in a son inheriting Batman's role character. And Shit, is, I already killed the other one. It's not, <laughs> it's not Damien, but it's fine. Like, it doesn't need to be. I it's, think this whole fine. thing it's is outside of continuity. It's too nice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't pull that at all out of this book. What, what did you think of the story? Oh, I mean, the story was very good, but I, I liked it. You had said, like, this book is really good. I don't want to spoil anything. This book is really good. So it had already a bar for me. So mm-hmm. I kept waiting for the moment in this issue where like, oh my God, this is going to be like, what's going to be really good. And then I have to assume that what that was, was like the Mr. Miracle reveal. Yeah. I like the Mr. Miracle. I really liked that uh, Constantine didn't die. Like the whole team didn't die when Plastic Man took over. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I just thought that it was really well done. Um, and when they show up at the, uh, Oh, they show up somewhere at the end, right? At, at, at the end, they go to Mr. Miracle. They, they kind of build, they ultimately um, are talking about how they need to escape this thing. There is an escape for this thing. And it kind right. of is seeding through dialogue that we're going to Mr. Miracle. And Mr. Miracle, since that Mr. Miracle run that Tom King done has become like, it's special when he shows up in things where it yeah. wasn't before, but now it's like very cool if he shows up. I mean, I like the story. I, 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 he could keep writing this forever and I would read every issue and yeah. enjoy reading every single one. I would say that this miniseries so far is not as good as the first or the second. Um, I, I really liked Unkillables. I really liked the first one. I like this one so far. Yeah, maybe. This one's going to be seven issues, I think. I would give this one a seven and a half easily. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go below a seven and a half for yeah. sure. I would I maybe get... argue to a, a two, or sorry, an eight. <laughs> a two? Wow. <laughs> I'll go seven and a half. Boys, I've got an email. I've got an email from <laughs> one generous, lovely friend of the show. But it's actually, it's actually, if you can believe it, um, hey guys, this may be your first ever co-written email. Oh! <gasps> 
inspired by Lovecraft Country Hellblazer, which Will and I are both currently reading. So, oh, this sounds like a Watts. It's a Watson and Watson Fots. Watson and Fots Watson production. And uh, it's inspired by Lovecraft Country Hellblazer, which Will and I are both currently reading, and Django's eyeball shirt. Wilmer, my friend Cody, <laughs> and myself crafted a little something for y'all. I'd like Django. I'd let Django read it so Jeff doesn't get too tongue-tied. We need a chain, a chanting oh. champion for the amount of alliteration that's coming. Oh, shit. <laughs> All, right, All right. So do I need a, let me let me it's bring a, it up here. It's on info at, and it's in the folder, Papcast questions. So I'm not okay. going to read any further. And if y'all just made me, if y'all just underhanded like a home run pitch to Django for his chant 300 game or whatever <laughs> batting a hundred i don't know there's a bass there's a there's a there's a metaphor there i don't i don't understand but as we kneel here by the flickering flames of jeff tickles illustrious and oh wow <laughs> du- and, and thinium? The athenium as we kneel here by the flickering flames of jeff Tickles illustrious anthem we find ourselves cracking open the creaky and crusty casket containing the hidden history of the romunculus and praying to the many jangled one to dominate the dearth of death-dealing decisions that dare to deal themselves to us, the wonderful citizenry of the Papcastum. The boisterous bosom that has birthed us as beautiful babes to see the sweet summer sky laden with lacy lenticular clouds cloistered at the cliff tops has seen fit to deign us doubtful dilettantes with his perfect phantasmic presence. And in this anticipated arrival, we await the blessed blood slurry to slosh over our sorrows. <laughs> us pokoers are safely in the tantalizing tentacles of your ever-loving embrace as we wring the raindrops from our warm wrappings. This eerie evening, we posture our palms in prayer, requesting rousing tales of tortured souls and scared shitless children. Indulge in the insanity, delving past the Kate's gate. Ooh. Into the mind's eye. Beyond the mind's eye. <laughs> Jeff. Yes. Give us the elevator pitch for the chapter of the many jangled ones romunculus regarding tortured souls and their inner struggle against the void. Wow. I need to look at that question. <laughs> um, first of all, Django, that was really well read. You, oh, fuck. You're chanting <laughs> while absolutely abhorrent in general. Um, clearly clearly your ability to handle alliteration on the fly is better than my own it's, um, it's that, that alliteration be- and religion and politics and all kinds of stuff <laughs> that, was, that was beautifully written because we've got we've got to print that out and hang it up in the store yeah, i think you should print it out in your own handwriting roman it'll look <laughs> arcane and evil <laughs> so i have to i have to understand so give me the elevator pitch for the chapter of the mini jangled ones Django's romunculus what is that Roman Romunculus. He's the Romunculus. Jangoed one's Romunculus regarding tortured souls and their inner struggle against. So, am I supposed to come up with a, uh, what is what is Django's struggle against the void? Mm-hmm. Oh man. Um. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. So Django rooftop nighttime. Not Batman. Batman, different rooftop. He's watching Batman. Hitman. Constantine. <laughs> rooftop. G- gotta, hey, we need you. Get off that roof. You're up here creeping on Batman, but 
you're not Batman. You got to come up here with us. We're going to take you to the celestial realm. Why you? Because you're on the roof. Um, come up, come up with us. Now we're looking at a sun. Now we're in the, the, we're not looking at the literal sun, but like, you know, there's a celestial, ethereal, spiritual thing where Hitman and Constantine need Django's help to look into the, the, the sun, which is the embodiment of like holistic, emotional completion and fulfillment. And, you know, Django's ultimate battle begins when he's staring at the sun, looking at the mirror, the void versus the source of light. Why inside of me is there a black hole when you are such a source of light, Jeff? And um, and it's uh, no, 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 no. Um, but I think that I think the story of Django is a four-part miniseries, or you could do it as like a Ben Dis Maxi series if you want to like really decompress the shit out of it. Uh, of of you know the journey, the journey of being brought out of the the sphere of the Earth into the celestial sphere to stare at the infinite source of light. And does he go blind? Does it rid the shadows from his soul? Does he finally? feel something does he find it in himself to be able to feel something these are the questions that tom king probably tom king and tom taylor the toms the do you hear the tom the tom, tom beat of the drum <laughs> in the shadow of the heart of django no that heartbeat is the tom tom beat of the tom kings and the tom taylors weaving a story for you with art by Derek robertson jeff i really appreciate that in this fictional world you gave me a heart Oh, but okay, okay. That was my listen. That question, the whole thing was amazing. I got the wording of it got me a little lost. Uh, romunculus is really what got me confused. What is the romunculus? It's like a homunculus, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. the romunculus. I was thinking of like a fifth dimensional, like a um, what's that thing? The the box in the Marvel movies, the tesseract. I was thinking oh, of like yeah, a yeah. fifth dimensional item in the fourth dimensional world. Like Roman is a fifth dimensional being in the fourth dimensional world. Three, three. It's a, it's, a, it's a tiny little, <laughs> little pseudo human with a tesseract for a head. So there's a question here for me too. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to pose it to you. Let's Django, yeah. give us the elevator pitch for the chapter regarding the journey of sacred shitless children against the dark horrors awaiting them. I think it's scared shitless, but I'm going to let you choose which one I'm doing. What did I the say? You said sacred shitless. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I'm not overtly dyslexic, but I'm like, I fuck up words like uh, way more than I wish that I did. Um, so okay. do you want the scarred or scared children? <laughs> or sacred children? The sacred, the, the sacred shitless children. The scared shitless children. Against, yeah. The sacred. <laughs> The sacred, un, uh, un, what is it? Un, uh, the un made dirty. Uh, you know, what is that? When, when you're made dirty, um, unsullied. Thank you. The unsullied, yeah. the sacred, unsullied children from the inside out against the dark horrors awaiting them. The scared, shitless children against the dark horrors awaiting them. So, the children are scared shitless because of... Something is scaring the children shitless <laughs> by James Denny in the fourth. <laughs> this, this would be um, uh, a 12-issue maxi series. Oh, thank you for making it a maxi. Branded as such from the beginning. With art and by Derek Robertson. No, no, no. The art is actually by Dr. Seuss. So it's, oh. it's told as like a series of kind of ice cream man 
posters in the Dr. Seuss style. And the antagonist is definitely drawn by Derek Robertson. So we've got like a, a art team up here. The antagonist is the homunculus. And as everybody knows, a, a, a homunculus is a depiction of a humanoid where each of their parts is exaggerated to show its senses. Wow. So you would have huge fingertips and a huge cock. And a yeah, huge, if it was like, you, but if it was me, I would just have these giant, angry, blind eyes that are <laughs> casting horrible opinions on all art and all comics. <laughs> like X'd out, closed eyes. So you have like this, this weird little kind of shamanic shambling romunculus um, following these children who are so scared that they're shitting. And it's just, <laughs> I do have to make sure that they are so scared it's, that everywhere they go, they're pooping. It's, it's just 11 issues of tableaus of the children uh, running themselves. and the romunculus pursuing. It's, it's kind of like uh, that, that bedtime story about the mother and the bunny. And the bunny's like, what would you do if I uh, turned into a ship and sailed away? And the mother says, oh, I would become the wind and I would uh, bring you safely into my harbors. Hey, can you describe the romunculus? Like, what are the the physical exaggerations of his senses? Um, Well, because because it's 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 based on a homunculus, but it's a romunculus. And so it's constantly it's constantly shifting for what it needs. But it only has so but much it's mass. consistently has a giant cock like you right. said yeah <laughs> giant that's <laughs> that's that's where the the heart is in the cock that's, and, where, that's but, how you know it's a romunculus yeah but Jesus, when, it's like it's it's like it's pogo sticking across <laughs> chasing after these pooping children <laughs> that badger loaf dragon behind him <laughs> oh man badger loaf <laughs> but, feels like it's conjured for men and stimpy <laughs> it's uh it, it's it's constantly shifting so when when he needs to um eat his hands and mouth get bigger and when he needs to walk his feet and legs get bigger and so it's, so a constantly, it's like this, okay. it's it's like this uh, homunculus that's constantly in flux it reminds me of uh the mis- uh, not mr natural but the keep on trucking yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Robert Crumb guy with the giant hands and, and legs. Roman, give us an elevator pitch about whatever Lovecraftian horror element tickle your fancy. Okay, um, but I want to apply some boundaries upon it. Please, you Lovecraft have to give him boundaries. Lovecraft? <laughs> He's the homunculus after all. Shitting children. <laughs> Wait, I and, thought that was in Jangles. Yeah, I got to combine a lot of it. And oh. then um, Lovecraft, the void, and pooping kids. Go. Oh man. Well, obviously the first thing that comes to mind is these uh pooping children. The um they're pooping this out. What a soundbite. What a soundbite. <laughs> they're constantly pooping because the void, the the abyss, the other side where the shoggoths and everything are coming from, it's it's up inside them. And no, and, the God the, and, and the portal is is the porthole? The porthole is these poor children's anuses. We're going to jail. <laughs> hey, listen, man. We've been friends with Roman for a long time, so the threat of jail has been looming heavy on this for for years, as far as I'm concerned. 
hey, this is Lovecraft came up with this, not me. <laughs> and these, it's these poor kids' but, but, buttholes. <laughs> Something is be shitting the children. Someone is scaring the poop out of the kids. Um, okay, thank you for the email. That was that was generous of you to give that to us. I can't wait to hear how much of Roman story Jeff has to just beep out. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about different comics. Same time, same place, same folks, mm. probably. I bet the art's going to be stellar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and um, we're sorry. <laughs> and we'll see you all next time. We got to go. Um, you can get us, you can, you can send us an email at Batman in quarantine. Um, <laughs> you can send us an email at info at the comicsplace.com. You know, write something in the subject line, like Papcast question or crazy question about any of the things that we just answered and all of them would make us go to jail. So I'm not going to say those out loud again. Got to delete some of those. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Django, what else you got? Um, drop us a review. Oh listen, to, listen to our other podcast, Batman in Quarantine. If you're at this point listening to this podcast and you have not dropped us like a four, you know, or a one star, five star review, but like it's easy to do. If, you, if you're at episode 193 and you haven't done it yet, Come on. Come on, <laughs> guys. Help us out. Yeah. Yeah. Guys? But, yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe Please. get a better taste in your mouth than whatever story you just heard come out of Romans. <laughs> Listen, I'm Jeff, and I want to tie it to Milky Stalactite Turd, but I'm not going to. I'm Django, and my Milky Stalactite Turd oh, work here is done. <laughs> turd work. I'm I'm Roman and yeah, Milky Stalactite Turd. That was my band in high school. It was great. That's fucking goddamn. What was your What was your favorite song off that first album? That first three track EP that you guys did. (laughs) Um, uh, Triple Mocha Enema. (laughs) (laughs) Requiem for a Romunculus. Requiem for a Turd. (laughs) Um, Um.